This is episode number 193 with Jane Hardwick-Collins. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? I just wanted to quickly remind you that if you haven't already, make sure you hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app. Mine is Himalaya. For those of you that have not heard of Himalaya, it's an epic brand new podcast app, which has so many awesome and unique features no other podcast app has, like episode and channel playlists. It's free, so easy to find new shows, and is really user-friendly. So head on over to the app or Google Play Store to download it today. Don't forget to follow me once you're done so that you can listen to my episodes one day earlier than they're usually released. Pretty cool, huh? Jane Hardwick-Collins is a midwife, teacher, author, and menstrual educator. She teaches women how to prepare for menstruation, the spiritual practices of menstruation, and the sacred dimensions of pregnancy, birth, and menopause. She is a true modern-day women's mysteries teacher. Jane practiced as a home birth midwife for 30 years, and this informed her worldview and brought focus to her knowing of what's possible when women truly feel safe. She also founded and runs the School of Shamanic Womencraft, an international women's mystery school. Now, this school offers year and two year long in depth immersions into the self and one's relationship with all that is. She's also the author of many epic and life-changing books, including 13 Moons, Spinning Wheels, Becoming a Woman, and 10 Moons. She also leads a grassroots activism program called Agents of the Goddess Special Ops for all those who care about the state of the earth, birth, menstruation, menopause, and the rates of abuse and trauma and how that shows up in all our lives and what to do about that. You guys are going to love this conversation today. I sure did, because we chat about her story and how she got to where she is today, why her midwife training was a spiritual awakening that set her on her true life path, her birth stories, why birth and breastfeeding are sexual experiences, conscious menstruation and why we need to treat this sacred time as a rite of passage, how to celebrate your cycle, how to move through menstruation shame, how to prepare your daughters for womanhood, what is the red thread and why you need to make peace with it, how and why you need to create a rite of passage for your boys as well, why the first seven years are so important and imperative years for our children, why parenting are spiritual paths, the truth about step-parenting, 
why our children are our greatest teachers and biggest spiritual assignments. Yes, they are. Why what you learn in birthing is what you will take into mothering that child. Why you need to get the lessons from your birth. What is conscious menopause plus so much more. But before we dive into today's epic conversation, I want to read the review of the week. And this week, it comes from Mel Menak, and it's a five-star review titled, Do Yourself a Favor and Jump on Board. And she says, Melissa's podcasts and her heart-centered books have been nothing short of epic. I can't thank you enough, Beauty, for being a major catalyst in my metamorphosis. My eyes and heart have been opened wide to so many amazing concepts, truths, and amazing people from around the world that continue to inspire me to no end. Never stop doing what you do, Melissa. You are inspiring a kind of change in the world that we can't be without. Thank you so much, Mel. That is so beautiful and heartfelt. I can really feel your words. So thank you so much. And don't worry, I won't stop doing it because I love sharing this information with you. And if you want to be the review of the week for next week, make sure you head on over to iTunes and you leave me that review now. I would be so grateful because it means that we can get this information to everybody that needs it. And this particular episode, every single female on this earth needs to listen to. So please share it with all of your soul sisters and your loved ones. You are going to love it. So without further ado, I'm so excited to introduce you to the epic, this super inspiring goddess that is Jane Hardwick Collins. Welcome, Jane. I am so excited for this conversation. But before we dive in, can you please tell us, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Oh, hi, Melissa. Firstly, just let me say thank you so much for inviting me to be part of this. And what I had for breakfast this morning is a great question. And that's nothing yet because I'm in following a keto diet where I'm taking myself into ketosis to really look after my body and use fat for my fuel rather than glycogen. So like that's a whole nother story, but yeah, there we go. (laughs) We've had lots of people on the show talk about that. So my listeners will be like, yep, they'll be nodding, knowing exactly what you're talking about. So don't (laughs) worry. (laughs) Now the work you do is quite extraordinary. So can you take us back and tell us about your story Did you always know you were going to be doing this work? And how did you get to where you are today doing this amazing work that you now do? Mm. Well, good question and also very revealing because no, I never expected that I would be doing this work and yet it's actually a fabulous kind of result of my life so far. So back when I really started kind of thinking about what did I want to do? What did I want to be in the world? I was 25 and I was already a registered nurse, but I wanted to have babies. So I wanted to learn as much as I could about it. And I went and became a midwife. And my midwifery training 
which was a year-long training in a big city hospital in Sydney, a year-long because I'd already done my nursing training of three years, was actually my grand awakening. I went into my midwifery training a daughter of the patriarchy, rebellious yet, you know, just accepting of the way of things because that's how I was raised, you know, with the kind of thing like, well, I'm only a girl. So I woke up in my midwifery training deep in the system to what the patriarchy actually is. When I saw how women and babies were being treated and the way that I have referred to it so often is that what I witnessed were institutionalized acts of abuse and violence carried out on mothers and babies masquerading as safety. And the saddest part was that the mothers didn't even realize that was happening. They thought they were doing the right things by their babies and themselves by being in these big institutions having having them because safety was the thing that was being used to guide everybody or imply what was right and what wasn't right. And so basically what happened for me was seeing that and realizing I was complicit in it. But more than that, what happened was, which launched me onto where I am now, is my in my attempt to try to understand how the system kept perpetuating itself. You know, like I thought that women would probably realize after their traumatic birth experiences or after their power was taken away from them in that magical, awesome, like life-changing, life-making experience that they'd realize, oh my goodness, I don't want to go and do that again. There must be a better way. But that's not what happened for most of the women. So what my research revealed, which led me to where I am now, is a really big study on rites of passage. So basically, childbirth is a rite of passage. And I was able to put what I was witnessing in context when I learned about what a rite of passage is and how it affects us. Wow. Okay. So did you birth any of your children? How many kids do you have? I have three of my womb and a stepdaughter as well. Once you realized, once you were doing your midwife training in that year, did you have any of your children in that system in that way or were they all once you'd had this spiritual awakening? They were all after that, yes. However, my first birth, so that's 33 years ago, was a planned home birth, as were my other two, the three of them. However, for the first birth, I ended up having a cesarean back in the hospital where I did my midwifery training. So the reasons behind that were based on what I figured out later was my inability or resistance or absolutely knowing I would never ever surrender in my life. So basically what happened is my first birth taught me that I, it taught me about surrender. It taught me that I didn't realize that I had an inbuilt protective process to never surrender and therefore how that would impact me. So Basically, it was my first birth was my next level awakening where I realized what I now call the shamanic dimensions of birth. In other words, 
all the things that lay beneath the experience. In other words, what a woman brings to her experience of birth are going to be the very things that impact what happens. So that first birth taught me about the kind of like programs, so to speak, that I had running in my belief system about myself and my safety, really. So I had figured out that from childhood experiences that I was not safe to surrender. So that didn't really impact me until I was giving birth and didn't surrender. And I didn't know that I didn't know how to surrender. And I had no idea that I had in place a system to make sure I didn't surrender. So this experience was such a big teaching for me. I think if I'd, if I'd had the, what, if I knew what I knew now, I would have been able to probably predict that that would come up for me in my birthing experience because you can also tell, and I would have been able to know if I knew <laughs> that my experience sexually, so birth is a sexual experience. So everything that has come before for a woman sexually will be part of it. So had I known what I know now, I would have been able to notice my difficulty, for want of a better word, in orgasming as part of a clue that I wasn't doing the surrender thing that's required to both orgasm and give birth. Because that's really an interesting part to this story is that the letting go and surrender that you need to give birth is the same letting go and surrender you need to do to have an orgasm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. So I'm presuming that a lot of people listening will have never thought of birth as a sexual experience. Now, I've had Dr. Sarah Buckley on the show and I've had Deborah Pascale Bonero on the show who did orgasmic birthing. So I know, right, that, well, from what I've read and what I've learned, I have not given birth. I have a beautiful stepson who I call my bonus son, but I've not <laughs> physically given birth. But, you know, from what I've read, it makes sense that Sa Dr. Sarah Buckley says the same hormones that make a baby are the same hormones to birth a baby. And I just love that you said, if you don't have the ability to surrender and have an orgasm, then that may come up for you whilst you're giving birth. So mm. I love that so much. It is mm. so powerful and something that we need to all remember. Yeah, another place that really shows up is in breastfeeding. Oh, really? Yes, because you uh, go into your breastfeeding experience complete completely full up with all the imprinting you've had around breasts and their function and what they're really for and what they're really not for. And, you know, like we live in a world now where women are shunned for breastfeeding in public, but porn is the way. So it's like so weird and twisted. So yes, breastfeeding can be affected by your, what, what, what you have experienced in your life thus far as well. Mm, makes so much sense. And something that I really want to do with this conversation and with my work and my podcast is just shine light on these areas for women. And maybe a lot of women listening haven't even thought about it. They've just gone into the system and the doctor said, this is what you have to do. And they haven't even actually questioned it. So what I want my show and this work and our conversation today to do is to 
open people's minds to there being other options and being another way if that's true for them. And then I believe that when we have all of these options, we can then choose and we can let our heart choose what feels good for us. But a lot of people don't even question or don't even say, oh, hang on, is that right for me? And so especially on these beautiful sacred rites of passage that you said, you know, before you've studied the rites of passage. And I love that you have really highlighted all these different rites of passage in your work. I want to really dive into what you talk about as conscious menstruation, birthing and menopause. Mm. But let's start with menstruation, one of the rites of passage that you talk about in your work. Because when I think back to when I first got my period, and I shared this story in my book, Open Wide, there was a lot of shame around it. It wasn't Mm. celebrated. I had absolutely no idea what was going on. And my mother and I never spoke about it. I remember getting sore breasts and then I had some spotting and then I bled and that was it. And all of a sudden, one day, tampons and pads just appeared in my bathroom drawer and that was it. <laughs> there, was, there was no discussion about it. And I believe too, it's such a special and sacred rite of passage. And I love that in your book, Becoming a Woman, you beautifully share why this is such a sacred and special time and how to educate our daughters. And you even teach about the different phases and how to chart your cycle, which I absolutely love. And I just think that everyone needs to know this information. So firstly, can you tell us why this is such a a sacred rite of passage for women? Well, it's the initiation, so to speak, into womanhood. So our menarch, menarchy, menash, however you've been taught to say it, the beginning of menstruation, which will last for probably 40 years, is the moment or the time in a young woman's life when she goes through her initiation into womanhood. And so what we know about rites of passage is that whatever happens, whatever is said or not said, whatever is done or not done, And also what is going on in your like immediate world and like, for example, like just picking something out of the blue, like if there's a, a, say, your grandmother dies around the time of your menarch, then that time in your life will be tinged by the grief of that. So those kind of things are added into them. So whatever said or not said, done or not done, at a rite of passage, teaches us on a subliminal level which means we don't even realize we're being taught. We're being taught how our culture values the next role we're going into. And so at Menarch or the beginning of your period, the the role you're going into is woman. And so we are subliminally taught by what happens or doesn't how our culture values woman and therefore how we need to behave to be accepted by our culture. So it's it's like creates and reinforces culture on the inside through the mindset that you adopt or develop. That means like the beliefs and the attitudes and the fears that you develop. And also on the outside, it reinforces culture by making sure everybody knows how they have to behave to be accepted. And one of the most important things for a human to feel is that they belong. You know, like if we don't feel like we belong, like on a primal level, then we're at risk of being 
dead, basically, because you need to belong to your mob, your tribe of, of humans to be safe. So we go along with a lot of things to belong. And at Menarch, which the average age is 13 and can be young and can be older, but at that point, a big girl or a young woman, and that's a huge thing too, you know, am I a big girl or am I a woman now? So lots to consider. But what I was going to say about that is that they're not usually ready for taking on the culture and saying, no, I'm not going to behave like this, even if you want me to. They're much more likely to go along with what the pop culture and their immediate family, but more likely their peers are thinking about it and then modify their behavior about it. And so the important thing from the perspective of the work that I'm doing is that the Menarch is a place for really positive intervention. So we know from the research that we've been doing with uh, the Victorian Women's Trust, a project called Waratah Project, over the last few years with lots of qualitative research on women and girls, older girls, so post-Menarch, that shockingly, shocking to me, shockingly, 35% or more of women starting their menstruation cycle, 35% of them didn't know what it was. So, you know, as an initiation into womanhood, not even knowing what it is and fearing that you're dying or that something's wrong with you, etc. So the Menarch is a place for positive intervention to welcome girls to womanhood in an empowering way and give them the information that they need to be able to really look after themselves and their bodies during their cycle, which is their life now, and to, to bring health and well-being and to be able to understand the magic inherent in it, the alchemy, the transformation, the, the rejuvenation, regeneration, renewal that women go through. And as a midwife, I know that on my mission gentle birth, how can we have as many babies born gently as possible? I know that we will be able to affect how women give birth by welcoming them into womanhood in an empowering way. Because we live in this world where the cult of the expert prevails. And that's what we see in the birthing situations that you were describing before that Women just go along and do whatever they think they're supposed to do and what the doctor tells them and what their peers are doing because we're under the influence of the cult of the expert. So we, we ask these big questions and we follow these paths forward because the experts have told us that that's the right way to do it. So one of the ways that we're trying to dismantle the cult of the expert and what that looks like is we move into a culture of self-responsibility and responsibility for others, of course. But at Menarch, at the initiation into womanhood, the woman who is going to have the babies, if we can help her to understand that she has an awesome body, not something to be ashamed of, but a body that is guiding her through whatever she needs guiding through, speaking to her with messages and feelings and experiences, that that and her conscious menstruation to follow is actually the best preparation for a conscious birth. It might end up that you have help from medicine, but thank you to that. But you're not really going to just go along with somebody who says, look, I'm the expert. I know your body better than you. Because they'll say, hey, how could you know my body 
better than me. I've been menstruating for the last however many years, listening to my body. I know what my body needs. And that is, as I said, like the perfect knowing to take into birthing. I have to interrupt this juicy conversation to tell you about today's epic sponsor, BetterHelp. For those of you that have been following me for a while will know that back in 2010, I hit rock bottom and ended up in hospital with my health taken away from me. I was dealing with a whole host of physical health issues, which you can read about in Mastering Your Mean Girl, but I was also dealing with some mental health issues from anxiety, panic attacks, eating issues, and depression. So that was the first time I started seeing a therapist, which helped me so much. From there, I have worked with so many coaches, counselors, therapists, and mentors who have all been very supportive for my growth and evolution. This is why I'm such a massive fan of getting support when you feel you need it. Some people think that you have to do this thing called life alone, but let me tell you, you don't. You don't have to do it alone and reaching out for support is okay. In fact, it's very brave and courageous. This is why I love BetterHelp, which connects you online to over 4,000 licensed therapists, counselors, and caring professionals that specialize in the issues that you want to talk about. Now, another epic thing is that your sessions can be done via video, phone, chat, or even text if you don't feel comfortable doing a video conversation or even a phone conversation. And you can communicate with someone within 24 hours, which is great for those times when you feel you really need to talk to someone quickly. And sometimes booking in with someone in person can take weeks. I know that's been the case for me. And all you need to do is fill out the form online and they hook you up with the best person for your needs. How awesome is that? And we are giving the MA Tribe 10% off your first month with the discount code MA Tribe. And if you're currently struggling with something, please reach out and get support with better help. All you have to do is head to betterhelp.com forward slash MA Tribe to get your 10% off. And remember, isn't shameful to ask for help and support. It is actually incredibly brave and courageous. So please reach out if you feel you need support and help right now. Head to betterhelp.com forward slash MA tribe. Now let's get back to this juicy conversation. No one knows your body better than you. And I personally, like I explained before, you know, my rite of passage into menstruation was not what you describe in your books. Like I said, it was it was not even spoken about. But over the years, the more and more I have got in touch with my body and really loved and appreciated my body, the more I have fallen in love with my cycle. Mm. And for mm. me, it is such a sacred and special time. And my cycle is synced up to the moon and, you know, mm. I do some rituals around it and I love it. I love being a woman and it reminds me every month when I bleed to celebrate being a woman and to celebrate how magnificent our bodies are and 
we truly know ourselves better than anyone else. And I want everybody listening to just remember that, like you do know your body so well, and we need to trust, trust ourselves, trust our bodies. Mm. And how can we educate our daughters? Like what if there's some people listening that think, oh, I'm too nervous to have this conversation with my daughter or, you know, I don't want to go there. It's too, there's too much shame or guilt. So what do you suggest? Because one of my best friends has a beautiful 10-year-old. She just turned 11. And we have spoken about it for the past like four years. We're like, when she steps into womanhood, like we've talked about what we're going to do for her. And we've talked about the celebration and I'm actually going to get her this book, your book, and I'm going to send that to her. But I've, I've sent her a couple of books and we've started to plant that seed for her. And when she actually does get it, you know, her mom and I have spoken about what we're going to do and how we're going to celebrate her and, and what we're going to gift her. We're going to gift her a beautiful self-love box with some Mm. goodies in there to really you know, make her feel like so special. You know, we want to give her the most beautiful rite of passage. So for somebody listening that thinks, oh, I feel a bit nervous about, you know, having this conversation with my children, what can they do? Mm. So basically the dominant situation in our culture is menstrual shame, which is what you kind of alluded to that your experience gave you. And Menstrual shame leads to body shame, leads to low self-esteem, leads to poor body image and all the behaviours of the wounded feminine like eating disorders, self-harm and actually negative, dangerous sexual decision-making. So we already know that that's what menstrual shame leads to as well as the fact that it impacts on how you give birth due to the perspective of your body that you're taking into that experience. So everybody in the patriarchal culture, to some degree, will have menstrual shame in their mix. People like you have busted out of it and realizing, you know, basically it's a clue. Anything to do with the feminine that is put down or made made a joke of is a clue that it holds power. So, you know, look at the menstrual cycle, look at birth and look at menopause. Like all of those things are either people are terrified of them or put them down or, or, or refuse to even speak about them. That's the clue that they hold power. So in terms of the menstrual shame, that is kind of like the main kind of vibe. It comes from the actual cultural menstrual taboo that's been in place for thousands and thousands of years. So Firstly, I would say to the mother or auntie or grandma, whoever, who is thinking, how can I welcome my daughter to womanhood in a conscious way? The first thing she needs to do is her own inner work to uncover her own stuff, you know, her menstrual shame, to do the inner work, to to ask of her menarch, what did this experience teach me about being a woman and what pattern and theme has developed there and has been playing out my whole life? That's the big question. That's the unraveling that women, I think, have the opportunity and really need to do. And especially for mothers and aunties preparing their daughters and nieces for menarch and for womanhood, do their inner work first and then think about the other aspect 
and that is the red thread or the mother line. So basically what the, what's going on is each of us are just the next member in the long line of our red thread or mother line, and we are carrying on and carrying out whatever happened in our red thread or mother line yesterday and forever ago. So one of the things that happens or needs to happen in this inner work is to make peace with your red thread and give thanks for the wisdom and to stop perpetuating the wounding that's been carried on. So celebrating our daughters at Menarch is one of the ways that we can do that. And also to be guided by her. She might not want to. And forcing our ideas on our daughters is, again, not a good idea. But with the kind of setup and introduction that you just described, your friend, and you are doing for that very blessed 10-year-old beautiful creature of... (laughs) bringing it into her reality that it's a thing, you know. So it's not what we say, it's what we do. So children are being taught about menstruation by watching their mother with it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really important thing to remember about boys because boys learn about menstruation and what kind of care a, a woman needs around her cycle by watching their mother. Yeah, absolutely. It's so, and not only are our children learning about menstruation through us, they're learning about everything through us. <laughs> they're learning about self-respect and how we treat our bodies, what we say to ourselves when we walk past the mirror, not even what we say, what we mm. think. You know, when we catch our reflection in the mirror, even if we don't say it out loud, oh, gross and we think it, our children know. They know. And, you know, I have nephews and I don't have an older niece. So, you know, she is like a little niece to me. And her mother and I are very, very conscious of our body talk and very mindful. Like, you know, we went on holidays last year together and, you know, we sunbake topless and, you know, we're very body confident and I'm super mindful of it. And as well with my, I've got a 13-year-old stepson, I'm really confident in front of him as well because I want him to see myself and his father really confident in our own skin. I don't want him to feel any shame or guilt around his body. But I'd love to hear your thoughts. After everything we've spoken about so far, how does this apply to our boys? Because my little boy, or he's not little anymore, but my boy, he's 13 and he's going to be embarking on that that time in his life. So do the same principles apply? Well, for boys entering puberty, yes, it's their rite of passage into manhood. And it's a slower becoming for boys than it is for girls because they don't have that sort of like, oh, there's the blood on your undies, so now you're a woman sort of scenario. It's a slower thing and, you know, that as the hormones shift, so too do, does their behavior, their voice, their skin, etc., etc. So, yes, it's their rite of passage. And, again, whatever happens at that rite of passage teaches them how they're supposed to behave to be accepted as men in our culture. Now, mostly the problem here is that people don't, actually do conscious rites of passage, particularly around 
puberty. And that doesn't mean it doesn't happen. It means that what does happen is the rite of passage. So if your rite of passage into manhood as a boy is like that you're teased for the, or, you know, how you're changing or that it's ignored or that you're, you know, as you shift from child to adolescent, you have, there's these sort of messages that come around how you're supposed to express your emotions and, or not and all that kind of thing. There'll be lots of work done and is being done on rites of passage for boys because it's one of the places that the people who think about these sorts of things have realised, like what I just said about preparation for birth by an empowering menarch, that this whole story of toxic masculinity can be dealt with at the initiation into manhood by bringing these boys into a place where they are learning about what it, what's required of a man in our culture. Now, I actually think that that's men's business and I think that girls' menarch stuff is women's business. So the way that I imagine it to be fully supported by everybody is that it all gets carried out or played out in community. So again, this highlights something that's missing in our lives now is like the village or the community because rites of passage are about community, you know, like it's about being separated from the community before and then learning something and then coming back into the community in your new way, so to speak. So we need to be way more conscious about how we're bringing boys into manhood. And as I said, lots of people are doing lots of good work about it. And as I said, the the way these boys are mothered is going to have probably the most significant effect on them. And not just mothered, parented, you know, like in the first seven years, everything that our parents and our main caregivers do and how they are in situations becomes our go-to, our default. We are imprinted with the way that our caregivers, the older people who look after us, are with things. We watch that and we embed that in our being as the way to do it. So it's those years that are the most important and, and impressionable. And of course, it's how we're born that actually really has a huge impact on how we be. So I think the biggest piece in all of this and what I've learned over the years and what I teach in my School of Shamanic Womancraft and in the workshops that I give and the books I write and stuff is that it's all connected. Like one rite of passage leads to the next, it's impacted by its previous one and either the same thing plays out or the healed version happens because you bring mindfulness to it. So there's another cool thing like going into a more spiritual soul level that I've noticed is that if we look at the rites of passage that we've experienced so far in our life, like the individual does, then you can begin to see the themes and patterns that are playing out. And that actually can give you information about your purpose this lifetime, your soul journey, if, if you like. So it gives us an, a, a bit of a look at the bigger map of what we're living and uh, what we're bringing, especially in our families where we end up as the emissaries for the idea of change and transformation and, yeah. Mm, beautiful. I was just thinking, Leo is my beautiful bonus son and 
When they step into year nine, they actually go away for six months. And the whole premise is that they go boys and they come back men. And it's a rite of passage. And they do it in that year nine, 13 to 14 age bracket. And when I first heard about this, I was like, "Mm, I'm not sure about this. And the more and more I learned about it and the whole concept behind it, I fell in love with the idea. And I thought, this is so beautiful what they're doing. And he goes to an all-boys school and, and they take them out of their everyday environment. And that's the whole idea. They go boys, they come back men. And it's such a highlight for all of them. But my husband and I have also spoken about him and Leo doing some sort of ritual together, whether it's you know a weekend camping trip or something like that. They want to mark Mm. that rite of passage. And it'll look very different to what we're going to do for my friend's daughter. Mm -hmm. But yeah, even just something like, you know, maybe they're going to go on a little camping trip and they're just going to go fishing or just have that time together. And I think it's really beautiful. So I want to encourage everybody listening to think about this. Even if you even if you don't have children or you're not thinking about having children, like how can you do this for yourself? Like how can you recreate that experience for yourself? And if you do have children or you're thinking about it, you know, maybe read read Jane's books and get some ideas and really create a beautiful transition period for your children because it's going to impact the rest of their life. And we have the ability to help shape that. And I just think it's such a beautiful gift that we get to share with them. And another rite of passage that you speak a lot about is pregnancy and childbirth and motherhood. And like we said before, there's many people that think those things happen to them without actually taking active conscious part in them. And and even though I haven't gone through childbirth myself, you know, I am a mother. And it is a spiritual experience. But, you know, a lot of people listening might not ever have put childbirth or pregnancy or mothering and spiritual experience in the same sentence. So why is this so? And how can we take a more spiritual approach so that we can grow and expand and fully step into our fullness in this lifetime? Well, motherhood and fatherhood, are a spiritual path. You know, it's where you meet yourself and your beliefs and you need to update them and let go of things all in the way to be the best version of yourself connected fully within, above and below. So no doubt in my mind that parenthood and my teacher, Janine Pavadi baker said that step parenting was a fast track to enlightenment. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. Can I just say, can I just say something about this here? Because I resisted it for many years and I had resentment and frustration and anger and it was my own stuff. And I really realized that it takes a very special person to step into the role of step parent because it's it's not for the faint hearted mm. it is so beautiful and so expansive at the same time and i know that that is why i have called that into my life and he is in my life because he is my biggest 
teacher, Mm. as well as my husband, my biggest spiritual assignments, my biggest mirrors. And I know I'm in his life because I am here to teach him as well. So I just think, you know, anyone listening, because I get asked a lot, actually. I get private messages on Instagram. I get emails. People come up to me in the street. I get text messages from my friends. There is not a lot of information about step parenting out there. And I just want anyone listening to know, if you are a step parent, that it takes a very, 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 very open-hearted, capable, special human being to step fully into that role. Mm. Because I know a lot of people, and from what I've heard, they feel like a failure. Mm. And there's a lot of shame around it and a lot of guilt. And I know from my personal experience, as soon as I changed my perspective on it, and embraced it more as this is a gift. You know, someone said to me, it takes a mother to raise a type soul to be a step parent. And I just was like, you know what? You're right. It really does. And so since then, I have fully stepped into the role. I've opened my arms wide to it. I've embraced it. And that anger and that frustration has dissolved. Mm. And it's it's just, I just wanted to share that because I know, you know, you being a step-parent as well, can you share your experience? Mm. Well, my stepdaughter was part of our family from very young. So from about, we were married when uh, the girls were three. So it's been like forever, really. And I say the girls because my daughter and my stepdaughter are basically the same age. And step parenting for me was an opportunity to notice what you said, you know, like my, the things that stood in the way of me having a fully open heart or a perspective that included her in the way that I was feeling about my own children. So, like I, I, I worked with that and at that and, you know, there were times when I was less than what I would have hoped I could be, but I knew that. So I was conscious along the way of all the different things that arose. So, you know, she's, she's a mother herself now and we, we have a beautiful relationship and it's all good, but it was challenging for both of us. And then, of course, it's whatever story is set up behind that too that is is big. But it's it's a big and you know much more common uh, relationship these days than it might have been when, say, I was growing up. Another example of what you alluded to, which is the absolute truth that our children are our greatest teachers. You know, and no joke. I mean, like it's absolutely if 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 parent doesn't access the teachings their children are giving them, then they're operating from an archaic way of viewing children along the lines of you know they're less than or should be seen and not heard, etc. Like I really know that our children are our greatest teachers, and I know one of the ways this shows up is that the birthing experience that one has in bringing their child to the world teaches them something about themselves the mother i'm talking about and this obviously applies for the father as well but in the for the mother i'm speaking that 
birthing her baby, like the whole process, including the pregnancy, teaches them something about themselves that is the gift of that. So I, when I was talking about my first birth and I said that that whole thing about surrender, well, that what that birth taught me was about surrender. It taught me that I didn't know how to do it and all the reasons when I uncovered, I did a forensic archaeological dig of my psyche to figure out why I had issues around surrendering. So what that birth, which then helped me to be able to surrender and have two vaginal births afterwards, but what the birth taught me was about surrender, even though I didn't do it, and that, that quality, that teaching of the birth, and this is the case for everybody, whatever the birth teaches you about yourself is the quality that you need to take to mothering that child. So mm. I need to take surrender to my mothering of my firstborn, Sam, or else we just end up back in the situation of laboring where I was pushing and pushing and he was being pushed up against the inside of me and there was no budging. So we get in it, what that looks like with two adults. If I don't surrender and practice what he taught me around him, then we just get back into the bang, bang, bang thing that his labor was really about. And hopefully the mother remembers what she learned from one birth. So she takes that to the next one. And then she learns the next level thing and whatever quality she needs to bring to mothering that child, and on and on and on. And what I've realized is that this little series of teachings, so to speak, that a woman has through her birthings, and as mothers, so every woman goes into the mother season of her life at around 25 and stays in that season of mothering till menopause. And that's whether she has children or not. So when we're in the mother stage of our lives, the mother season, we are the creatrix. We birth babies and we conceive, gestate and birth all manner of things, not just human babies. It could be a career. It could be a garden, a project, a book, a, a new version of ourselves, whatever. So we are, we are the creatrix in that season. And so for women who have not had babies, they can still do this analysis of their birthings and what they taught them if they take the question to other things they've gestated they've conceived gestated at birth so like a career you know like what did that pursuing that career teach me about myself well that's the quality you need to bring to being in that career for example does that make sense oh totally and so i want to encourage everybody listening to reflect back on your births. If, you, if you've had children, for anyone listening, reflect back and get out your journal and ask yourself, what did I learn in that process? And I don't think a lot of people actually stop to do that work, but that is the work. And I know Dr. Sarah Buckley, she, I think she's had five children and she was talking about all the different lessons that she's learned through each one and each one, you know, lay it upon the next one and she learned different things. And I think it's really important. So yeah, like you, you learned surrender with mm. your first and then you took that into the second. But did you get another lesson in the second one or was it just to remind yourself to surrender? No, I got the next level, which was a big challenge. So my second birth, two and a half years after my first one, which was a cesarean, 
was a vaginal birth at home, and that was 30 years ago, back in the time when once a cesarean, always a cesarean was like one of the dominant myths. And I also knew from reviewing the statistics that the highest chance I had in those days of having a vaginal birth after cesarean was if I was at home, not in hospital, because of the various policies and procedures that they used to do what they could to look after that based on their perspective. And so to have a vaginal birth after cesarean, especially with the conditions that uh, could have been the reasons behind the cesarean being reasons that people would say, oh, you shouldn't have a cesarean, should, should have another cesarean. And obviously, you know, everybody needs to consider their individual situation for all of this. But for me to have a vaginal birth after cesarean, I really needed to trust the birth process and like really trust the birth process in so much that I could actually surrender and then trust the birth process and get out of the way, get my head out of the way, which wasn't out of the way in my first birth, and let go, i.e. surrender, and then trust. And, and I did. And I was as surprised as anyone could ever be that it actually happened. So Ellie's birth taught me trust. And again, I need to bring trust into my mothering of her, even as an adult. And then the third birth, I took surrender, trust, and then I learned from my third birth of Jackson 26 years ago now, I learned about what I, my next lesson, which was presence. So in the unfolding of his birth experience and the, the sensations I was experiencing, I was thinking like a lot of women do in the peak of the process, I can't do this, which is actually a good sign that it's probably close. However, how I needed to be with myself to navigate that place of was to be present, like actually present in the moment, like super present, like not anywhere else other than right here. And that ended up taking me into an altered state of consciousness, which I write about in my book and share in all my workshops and stuff, which was like fully the most cosmic experience I've ever had. And so presence was what I learned from birthing Jackson and is the quality that he demands of me. You know, mom, are you listening to me? <laughs> Etc. And what I've noticed with this kind of little formula is, so mine is surrender, trust and presence is that I can use that as my personal little reset process if ever I feel stuck anywhere. So it's really useful. Yeah, they're great life lessons that you can take to every area of your life. Mm, absolutely. So I really recommend women do this and men too, obviously. Yeah. But I can only speak really with some confidence about a woman's journey because that's who I am. Yeah, exactly. Another rite of passage that you speak about is menopause. And we haven't spoken a lot about this on the show. And you talk about conscious menopause. So I'm presuming, you know, what we've spoken about, the same principles apply to that. Is that what you mean? Yeah, absolutely. And the thing about menopause, so as a midwife and as a 
woman who's birthed three babies and been through the experiences I just shared, I just I just thought there can't possibly be anything more transformational in your life than giving birth until I went through menopause. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing. I don't want to be perpetuating this ridiculous cultural belief that menopause is bad or dangerous or scary, but it actually so is the probably beside childbirth the most misunderstood and feared rite of passage or even thing in a woman's life. Mm. It's been tabooed and shunned and like people even ask questions like why do we even have human women? who aren't fertile, what's the use of them? You know, like if you if you dive deep into the subject, that's the kind of question that you find. So it's deeply transformational and it's it's something that takes quite a long time. And it has been spoken of as if another labor. So it's another labor and birth. And the birth is the wise woman version of you. And the labor is the process that you need to go through of the reckoning because as Dr. Christian Northrup calls it, menopause is the mother of all wake-up calls. She says it's a process that's designed to heal all the unhealed parts of you. So the thing about menopause and the, the thing I say in all my menstruation workshops is to use the power of your menstrual cycle to deal with all the things that arise for you so you're not ignoring things and sweeping things under the carpet because come menopause everything that you've swept under the carpet comes out and it comes out so that you can be with it in a healed way and not take it into the second half of your life so it's it's a huge reckoning and it can take a decade actually and it's associated with all sorts of physical sensations. I, I don't want to say symptoms because that implies it's a disease process and it's not a disease process. It's what happens and it's a big change. It's, it's like all rites of passage. When you're on one side of it, you're one person, one woman, and when you go through it, you're going through it, and when you're on the other side of it, you are completely different. Like the... The post-menopause, so menopause just means last period, so that's the moment in your life. There's the before menopause and the after menopause when you're having the experiences physically and emotionally and spiritually, and then there's post-menopause when that's kind of settled down. So traditional Chinese medicine call menopause the second spring. So that's a lovely way to look at it. That's a bit of an alternative to the death of you know fertility and therefore use. But the thing about what it's like on the other side is you won't know who you're going to be post-menopause because you've never been her before. It's like the hormonal cocktail that runs your life or that is you, you've never had. So it's like meeting a whole new you and everything changes and things that mattered don't and things that didn't matter do. And our culture is even though postmenopausal women is the largest demographic in the world, apparently, even though we live in, in an ageist culture that is so fixated on beauty and youth and menopausal women feel judged by that and there's, you know, there's so many bad ways that the pop culture reinforces that. I mean, it's changing, but it 
certainly needs to. So menopause is is a huge experience and we don't have anywhere near enough support for women going through that as we need to and for their families, you know. Like classically as well, when a woman goes through menopause, there's probably other big things going on in her life too, like perhaps her parents are getting sick and dying and perhaps her children, obviously depending on how old they were, are leaving the nest or going through puberty or whatever. So it's not just her menopause that's going on. Everything else is going on as well. And for her family and and the people she spends a lot of time in, there's this classic sort of thing that happens where it's like, what's wrong with you? This was okay yesterday and now it's not. You've changed, blah, blah, blah. And that's the truth of the nature. It is such a change. It's, you know, it's called the change of life. It's, it's, it's so huge and mm. so important and needs help and care. And, and one of the ways that where, you know, people like me are doing that kind of thing, support around menopause and, and the menstrual cycle is to, to, to not just shift the taboo and do the inner work and blah, 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 but to actually stop pretending that women menstruate, don't menstruate, stop pretending that women don't menstruate and stop pretending that menopause is no big deal. And the way we're doing that is to bring this mindset and therefore supportive practices and situations into the workplace. So that's this great thing of menopause so menstrual cycle and menopause workplace policies. So that's a new and exciting thing that's happening. Oh, I love that. I can't wait to watch that unfold. And I just, I've had Christine Northrup on the show and she's the person that we spoke about menopause with. And I just love viewing it the way that you explained. Like it's a, it's a whole other way of viewing it. And, and I just wanted to as well break it down that every day we are a new version of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Every moment we are shedding the old and stepping into the new. And, you know, this is why, you know, some people say, oh, you've changed. I'm like, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> uh, I hope so. I hope I've grown and evolved and stepped more into who I truly am. So I just love your approach and your way of looking at menopause, another beautiful rite of passage. I have to interrupt this juicy conversation to tell you about one of today's epic podcast sponsors, and that is Wix. Now, I believe we all have something to share with the world. And a beautiful way that we can do this is via a website. And Wix makes creating your own website and you sharing your message with the world super easy. Back in 2011, I started my first website. I wish I had images to show you what that looked like back then. So embarrassing. But having my own platform to share with the world was and still is so epic. And with Wix, you get total creative freedom. You have infinite design possibilities, which means you get to create your own unique yet very professional masterpiece. And I know it can seem super overwhelming when you're first starting out, but Wix takes care of all the heavy lifting, like reliable hosting to keep your website safe and secure, custom domains and mailboxes, email marketing, and so much more. It's super user-friendly, but so slick that people will think you hired professionals to do it for you. 
Plus, they have just launched Wix Turbo, which means your website loads faster than ever. I want you to share your message or passion with the world. So Wix and I are giving you the Epic MA Tribe 10% off when upgrading to Wix Premium with the code MA Tribe. How cool is that? Now, let's get back to this epic conversation. And I'd love to just ask you a question now. If you had one book that you could put in the school curriculum of every single school in the entire world besides your books, (laughs) because that Mm. is a given, I absolutely think every single person needs to read all of your books. Mm. What is one book that you would choose for every high school around the world? Tough question. If I was thinking for the girls, I would probably, and I suggest this all the time too, choose Dr. Christian Northrup's book, Women's Body, Women's Wisdom. Woman's Body, Woman's Wisdom. Yes. And for boys and girls or, you know, the whole group, I would probably choose some sort of book that taught us sort of Joseph Joseph Campbell sort of way about the archetypes and the mythologies that we're living in our lives and the stories that continue to influence us. So like the ancient myths and stories from different cultures and also some sort of reference book that reminded everybody that we are actually animals and that we are actually mammals and we cohabit the planet Earth with all the other animals and beings and systems and rocks and plant kingdom and everybody, and I'm not trying to forget anything here, and some sort of educational process that reminded us that we, we don't visit nature we are actually part of nature. We are nature. And that remembering all those basic mammalian needs and behaviors and the way of nature would be, I think, probably one of the most important things for people to grow up really knowing and practicing. Oh, absolutely. We are nature. I sure as hell didn't know that when I was in high school. So, you know, it would have been nice to know that. So, yeah, Mm. I absolutely agree. And we can link to Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom in the show notes and all of your amazing books as well. But I'd love to hear now, I like hearing about how people set themselves up for the day. I love hearing about their morning routines and how they prime themselves for the day. So do you have a morning routine and can you share that with us? Yes, I do. So I... I love to get up early and I use the first bird song of the morning as my alarm clock. So that's probably like anywhere from 5.30 to 6 or so. So 6 o'clock I got up this morning and the first thing I do is have some lemon juice in water and then I do a qigong practice which includes four or five qigong practices. 
that I do, and then I meditate, and then I begin my day. Beautiful. So I'm at work very early, probably by 7.30, and I, I work all day and finish kind of maybe depending on what's happening, say like four or five, and then I walk in the forest that neighbours the property that we live on in the New South Wales countryside. And I then get myself to bed quite early, probably about 9, 9.30, and then I'm up again in the morning. So I work hard and I know that my setup in the day helps me do that. And again, also this keto, ketogenic diet is another thing that helps me really fine-tune myself. And I'm also doing exercises and actually high-intensity interval training every second day. So one of the big things about being in the menopause phase, the post-menopause phase, is that it's really important to stay strong. So I incorporate exercise into my daily routine as well. So I'm pretty busy, but, you know, being part of a revolution takes a lot of time and energy. Yeah, exactly. And are your children, any of your children still at home or have they moved away now? They've all moved away, yet the big ones come back again for a while. <laughs> That'd be nice. Yeah, it's lovely. Okay, I've got three rapid-fire questions for you. Are you ready? Mm, yes. <laughs> <laughs> what is one thing that our listeners today can do for their health, to improve their health? Well, for women, I would say pay attention to your body, especially your menstrual cycle. And the way to do that would be to begin charting it if they haven't. And I don't just mean marking the calendar for the bleeding days. I mean noticing every change every day. And that is the because the menstrual cycle is the barometer of your well-being. So anything that's not working in your life will show up in your menstrual cycle. So for that would be my answer to that. And for men, I would say eat properly and go to bed at reasonable hours. Yeah. And exercise. Yeah. I was just thinking I have been charting, like properly charting with how I feel and the moon cycles and everything since 2011. And mm. it has changed my life. It really has changed my life. And I actually love doing it now. And I just use one of the apps and I chart mm. all of the data. I put, you know, temperature, I do everything and put all of that information in there, what the moon's doing, how I'm feeling. And I just love it. It's, it's a great thing to have access to and uh, just to see and, and to tune into your body. So I love that. Yeah. Can I just say about an app? Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm in the process with two other women, one scientist and one a medical practitioner. We're co-creating an app together that's oh, going wow. to be a bit, of a, a bit of a DIY menstrual cycle healing process. So it's going to be called Period Magic, and we're going to do a Kickstarter process for it soon. So watch out for the Period Magic app. Oh, that sounds amazing. Well done. <laughs> I can't wait to check it out. And the other thing, you know, with charting your cycle, I'm sorry I'm, I'm in the middle of your three firing off questions. <laughs> but That's okay. The other awesome thing to do while you're charting your menstrual cycle is also, as you said, to notice the, the moon, but also to actually use the energy of the moon through the opportunity we have of flowing with that with 
uh, the dark moon and the new moon and the full moon and the different things we can do then and also the seasons as well you know like there's wonderful ways to align with all of that energy that really improve our quality of life yeah absolutely it's something that a lot of people aren't taught or explore and i want to encourage everybody listening to grab your books and and dive into it it's life changing I've also set up a Patreon page where I offer this kind of information at, at, in the subscription. Oh, awesome. Well, we'll link to that in the show notes as well. Okay. Okay, getting back to our rapid fire, what, <laughs> what is one thing our listeners today can do for more wealth, so more abundance in all areas of their life? Mm. Well, to give. Yeah, beautiful. And what is one thing that we can do for more love in our life? Well, I think, you know, love thine self first, then everything changes. Absolutely. Amen. Now, this has been (laughs) so powerful and we've touched on so many amazing, beautiful rites of passage and we could do a show individually on each and every one of them that we've discussed. But is there anything else, Jane, that you want to share? Anything that we didn't touch on that you wanted to talk about? Hmm. Well, I think that possibly, and, and this is always coming from my midwife heart, and my mother heart, that we need to look after the children. We need to care for them with love and honour and respect and welcome them gently into the world at their birth, no matter what the birth is, like to treat the children, the babies, the, the ones being born, as sentient beings because they are. They're taking in everything. So just to be kind and gentle with the children and that we we actually are at a place in our evolution where we we really all need to get on the same page and do the right thing and probably i think the best medicine for everybody would be to spend as much time as possible in nature oh yeah you are talking my language. I'm obsessed with nature and it's just walking in nature, going to the beach. I live on the beach. So for me, just swimming in the ocean, oh, it's just heaven, absolute heaven. And also, I guess, not I guess, I know to honor every every life stage, including and especially the mothers, they need the support while they're raising their children and their fathers, whoever's doing that. And also to our elders. We need to look after our elders and value the wisdom that they can bring us. Mm, absolutely. Come back to what we were speaking about before, the community coming together and mm. supporting each other. It's so important. I feel like we're a little bit divorced from community and tribe. So however you can incorporate that into your life, do it because it mm. really is such an important part of life. Yep. Okay, Jane, I've got one more question for you. I'm a massive believer in (laughs) service and being of service to others. So what can I do personally and the listeners do to serve you today? How can we serve you? You are serving so many people with all of your amazing work and workshops and books and seminars. How can we serve you? Mm, What a lovely question. Well, I guess. There's so many ways. So, I mean, at my heart, I am an agent of the goddess. 
And what I'm doing as an agent of the goddess is all I can to help reclaim feminine wisdom, knowledge, power, and strength. And that doesn't mean just for women, that's for everybody. And I've got all these different things going on, including dreaming up global sanctuaries for our great-great-grandchildren so that there's places where they can go and see food growing and places where they could go and have babies naturally, etc. So I have grand missions in place that require support and service and financial help, etc., etc. So part of the Patreon thing that I've set up is there for people who are able to support for example, women at risk doing my programs or missions that are things like saving our perineums from unwarranted episiotomies and genital mutilation, including circumcision and stuff. So really what this revolution needs is everybody behind it in whatever level of service they can they can give, whether at the grassroots level of being part of it or from a distance financially supporting it yeah so that would be what i would say thank you for asking that question it's a tricky one to answer without slipping into any sort of like (laughs) no it's what you're doing is just so beautiful and we'll link to all of your amazing work in the show notes so people can come and discover you and get your books and maybe do one of your workshops and support your Kickstarter. So thank you so much, Jane, from the bottom of my heart for the work that you're doing. I'm so grateful to my beautiful friend, Brianne, who introduced me to you and your work. I'm so grateful because I just went down the rabbit hole of all of your books and all of your work and what you're doing is just amazing. So thank you again so much and I hope you have a beautiful day. Oh, thank you so much, Melissa. Thank you for being one of the voices in our culture that brings the new way. Thank you. You're welcome. I loved today's conversation. I could have spoken with Jane for hours. I got so much out of it. And if you did too, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review in iTunes or on your podcast app because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. We have to band together and do this together and spread this information together. And don't forget to come and join the private MA Tribe Facebook group, where you can share your insights from this episode, plus you can tell me who else you want me to get on the show. It's also a very sacred space where we can come together and discuss all things Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide, along with anything else that you feel called to contribute to the open and honest conversation. You will also get some extra love and support personally from me that I won't be offering anywhere else. And one thing I get asked a lot is where can I find my tribe or where can I find like-minded soul sisters? Well, this is the place. So head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash tribe to join now. And for everything that Jane and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes and that is over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 193. 
And you can also listen to all my other episodes there too. Another thing I wanted to mention before I go is that if you haven't got Open Wide, a radically real guide to deep love, rocking relationships, and soulful sex, all you have to do is head to melissarambrosini.com forward slash open wide to get your copy now. And when you're there, you will also get access to my free Open Wide video masterclass that Nick and I created just for you. And if you want to be the review of the week for next week, make sure you head on over to iTunes and leave me that five-star review right now. Before I go, thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best, the healthiest, the happiest version of yourself and for showing up today for you. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. Basically, every single female in your life needs to listen to this episode. It is so important. So you can take a screenshot, you can share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them. Just do whatever you have got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy. Healthy is liberating and wealthy isn't a dirty word.